0: I want to kick off a brand new series today. Um, We just wrapped up a series before this one. You're always welcome to go back to OSCConnect.com and listen to any of our previous messages. Um, I want to kick off a new series today dealing with identity. But let me give you a little preview of what's coming down the road. So we're going to be a couple of weeks in the series on identity. And then that'll walk us right into Easter. Uh, we got big plans for Easter. We have an Easter outreach planned the weekend before Easter. Then Easter Sunday, we're planning to go three services uh, that Sunday, just for that Sunday only. And then, and then after Easter, we're going to kick off a brand new series on parenting. And in the middle of that series, we're going to have, we're going to host a parenting intensive in Jennings at our Jennings location. It's open to open to everyone in the church and even friends of yours that aren't in the church. And it's for any, any stage of parenting, whether they're still home or even not home, there's still some things that you can learn from that. Our very own Jennifer Glasscock is going to be uh, leading that intensive. I sat through that intensive about four years ago, and I consider myself a pretty good parent, and I took a ton of notes. So I promise you, if you have a kid, if you plan on having kids, if you're influential in some other kids' lives, you need to be at this parenting intensive. It's on April the 25th. We're going to communicate to you when, when you can start signing up online, and, and that way you can get signed up because there's going to be some limited space, I believe, because a lot of people are really interested in getting some help <clears throat> with parenting. Amen? So I said all that to get back to the series that we're in today. We're kicking off a new series on identity, <clears throat> and the title of the series is called Who Am I? And the title of the message today is Who Am I When I Think I Don't Measure Up? Who am I when I think I don't measure up? Anybody ever feel like you don't measure up sometimes? Come on, just you can. This is church. You can be real honest and raise your hand. Like nothing, nothing's gonna fall out of heaven if you raise your hand. So like, like, like you just you just feel like sometimes you just don't have the goods. Uh, sometimes I'm just missing a few things. <clears throat> I want to start off with a true story. <clears throat> Excuse me. I want to start off with a true story. In 2004, there was a man who was uh, brutally beaten. Uh, behind a Burger King restaurant. Uh, Sometime during the night, some people grabbed him, drug him behind the restaurant, and I mean like beat him bad. Uh, Basically what they did is they, they beat him, and then they stripped off everything that he had. They left him with absolutely nothing. No identity, no wallet, no ring, no nothing, no clothes. And when I say everything, everything was stripped off of him, and he was left there to die. Okay, So the workers for Burger King come to, to work the next morning. They find the man. He's already starting to suffer from the elements. He's just been passed out behind there, behind the Burger King. They call the ambulance. The ambulance comes. They, they, they take him. They bring him into the hospital, start to run some scans on him, check his vitals and all this stuff. They, they discover after an x-ray that he's got three permanent dents in his skull from how hard they beat him. And now he's suffering with amnesia. He doesn't know his name. He doesn't know how old he is. He doesn't know who his family is. Doesn't know where he come from. Doesn't even know what happened to him. He has nothing. Everything was stripped away from him. The hospital tries to locate some of his family with no luck. After a few months, maybe a year, some, uh, Dr. Field discovers his story, brings him onto his show to try to get some, some national publicity for this guy to try and find his family, only to not have anything come from it. Now the problem is, is not only was he beaten and now he has amnesia, but now he has no identification and nobody knows who he is. So you can't get a real job that pays a real paycheck if you don't have a real Social Security card, right? So now he's homeless at times, working little cash jobs just to survive, living from shelter to shelter to shelter, until finally the right people find him and start to get him the help he needs. And today, he currently knows who he is. He knows what his name is. He knows where he comes from, and he's reunited with his family. But can you imagine living life with no identity? Like you don't even know who you are. Think about the struggle of not knowing who you are. I mean, you don't even matter to people anymore now. Like you don't even have a reputation because that doesn't even exist anymore because nobody knows who you are. Think about his struggle, no identity. And so the message today is on identity and it's on who I am or who am I when I don't think I measure up. See, here's the problem is the church as a whole is in an identity crisis. The church doesn't know who the church is. The church doesn't know who they are, the power they possess, the God that they serve, and the things that can be happening, the church doesn't even know. And when you don't know who you are, and you don't know who God is, and you don't know what you're able to do, you're in a desperate place, right? You're definitely not being effective in the world around you because you have no power, right? And I believe every one of us today is asking the question, who am I? Every one of us is asking that question today. You may not be saying those exact words, but to some degree and to some variation, you're questioning who you are now. Maybe you just started having kids, and you're going, like, who am I now? Like, am I just like mom? Is like, like, that all I'm ever going to be? Like, the taxi cab driver, the, the, the behind wiper, the, 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 the dish cleaner, the clothes washer. Like, is that who I am now? Is that, and then, you know, kids take a while. So, like, then one day you're going to be like, is this going to last forever? Like, is this is all I'm ever going to be? Well, let me warn you. When they're getting ready to move out, you start questioning with another question like, "Who, who am I? In? Who am I now? <laughs> like, who am I? I don't have no kids, I don't even know who I am anymore." I, I just hear about it. I, I don't really. <clears throat> <laughs> but we're all asking that question: Who am I now that I'm a parent? Who am I if I don't get the promotion? Better yet, who will I become if I do get the promotion? Because people got to like me, right? People got to love me. I got to be the man or the woman. Who am I once the kids moved out? Who am I after a life-altering sickness or a challenge or an event? Who am I when I feel like no one sees and no one knows and no one cares? How we answer this question determines the quality of your life. Who are you? If somebody asks you, who are you? Are you like me and you don't give them your last name because you're scared there might be some repercussions? (laughs) I got pulled over by a cop one time when I was in Franklin. He was like, who are you? I'm like, (laughs) I was about this close to using somebody else's last name if I knew you weren't going to ask for my driver's license. I want to tell him, when you don't know who you are, you battle insecurity. How many of you know that to be true? Can I just... Help you understand something today? Every single person walked in here today with an insecurity. And if you just instantly thought, I ain't got no insecurities, you got some insecurities. <laughs> so whoever you are that thought that, I heard you when you thought it. No, I'm joking. When you don't know who you are, you battle insecurity. We don't need a reason to feel insecure. We face the pressures and expectations every day that cause us to feel insecure. Social media was supposed to be a, pro- a, a a solution to a problem that's supposed to connect us and we're supposed to thrive because of social media. And now all of a sudden people are realizing that social media is a, is a great depressant. It, it builds insecurity because all people ever talk about and all people ever post and snap and chat about is their highlights. And so you, you're looking and you see somebody, oh, I wish I could go on vacation. We'll always be poor. You see how it works? Insecurities. If you're a mom, you're feeling the pressure to have the perfect kids, keep the perfect house, cook the perfect meal. Dad, you have the pressure to perform, to provide, to promote. To protect students these days. Man, I don't want to be a kid these days. Man, it's ridiculous. Man, kids are vicious. Kids used to be nice when I was a kid. And they're vicious today. Like, if you're ugly, they just take you ugly. It was different. And they, they put this pressure on each other to look and be and act a certain way. And man, if you do anything opposite of that, you're an outcast, you might get bullied, you might get tormented, you might get pushed to the curb because you didn't fit into this model that a group of people thought you needed to fit into, and now you don't even know who you are. What's crazy is you can raise your kids up with a good, healthy identity, and then you can send them into a school system and they come back every day wrecked, right? Who am I? So th- today I want to look at the identity and insecurity of Moses, and I want to use the story of Moses to help us with this identity problem. So let me give you a little bit of the backstory. story. Uh, back in the day when Moses was born, Pharaoh was getting threatened because the, the, the Hebrews, the, the Israelites, were, they were multiplying like crazy. I mean, they were, they were in captivity. Rewind the story some more. God had sent them to Egypt to rescue them and to save them from a great famine, and they stayed, and they started to multiply. A new Pharaoh comes in. He says, man, we've got to do something with all these people. So he takes them captive without officially taking them captive. You know sometimes the devil will take you captive and he doesn't announce that he's taking you captive? Just little by little he starts to make you depend on him and depend on him and then all of a sudden, boom, he's got you in his trap, and now you're a slave when you were there for freedom. And so now this whole nation is enslaved to this new pharaoh and he's getting threatened because man, they multiplying. And so he sends out this decree to kill all the baby boys. Every baby boy that's born, kill him. But there was this little mama. Come on, say little mama. Y'all know about little mama. You don't mess with little mama. Right? That's that little Cajun woman they call little mama. She'll punch you in the teeth, right? Like little mama said, y'all ain't getting my baby. Put him in a basket, sent that brother down to bayou. Right. She sends him down the river and he ends up, funny of all, he ends up at Pharaoh's house. And then Moses all of a sudden finds himself in a situation where they pick him up and like a little lost puppy, he finds a home at Pharaoh's house. But he's a Hebrew boy. He's not an Egyptian. They don't even look the same. They don't even act the same. Like when he's growing up and developing as a person, he doesn't even look like an Egyptian. He looks like the slaves. He don't look like the slave owners. And then he grows up in this situation. Talk about an identity crisis, right? I mean, he doesn't know who he is. He's like, man, I, I feel like an Egyptian, but I look like a Hebrew. Moses gets a little bit older and he starts to realize some things that he was a Hebrew boy and that he was not Egyptian, and God starts to move in his heart, and his insecurities start to move in him also. And in a moment, he, he sees this Egyptian slave master mistreating a Hebrew slave, and, and Moses runs up and defends him in a burst of anger, and he actually kills the Egyptian. So now he's on the run. So Moses takes off from Egypt, and he goes out into the wilderness into a place called Midian, and he spends the next 40 years in Midian, basically as a fugitive. Hebrew boy raised in an Egyptian home kills an Egyptian finds himself in the wilderness just trying to survive. Does that sound familiar at all to anybody? I just got to make it one more day. Can I just make it past Monday? Can we get past next week? Oh my God. Feels like the wilderness. So we pick the story up. Moses is 80 years old, and and then God shows up. And I think this is hilarious. God shows up to Moses. Now remember, he's in a wilderness type of environment, it's desert like. And Moses is just doing his thing for 40 years, like he becomes a shepherd, and he just, you know, becomes this farmhand, and he's a man, and, you know, I'm just doing my thing, I'm trying to outlive my past, trying to forget my past, and now, you know, I don't know who I am, but I'm a farmer now, and so he finds his identity in what he does now, and and all of a sudden, one day out of the blue, and you need to know this, that one day out of the blue, God's going to show up in your life. Not even looking for a bush that was on fire that wasn't getting burned up, Moses walks up on a bush and There's a fire. And it's burning, but it's not burning up. Something different about this fire. And then he hears a voice. You know if God wants to find you, he'll find you. You know God showed up in a bush. God showed up in a tree. God showed up in a donkey. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you can be as stubborn as a mule and God will still show up. 80 years old, God, God shows up in Moses' life and we picked the story up in Exodus chapter 3 starting in verse 10. So I want you to read along with me as we go. It says this, Now God, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. God and Moses are having this conversation and after they got past the... The, the you know, the initial, hey, how you doing? I'm God, you're Moses, all that stuff. He says, now I want you to go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt, but Moses protested to God, which I think is hilarious. He's, like, protesting to God. Like, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Like, who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? Like, if you're God and you know everything, don't you know I killed an Egyptian? Don't you know I was raised in an Egyptian home, but I'm a Hebrew boy. Like, like, if you're telling me to go do all this stuff, don't you know who I am? Like, who am I? I can't go do that. I got a past. Like, if I go back over, what you trying to get me arrested? I got a record. God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested again. Moses is rude. He keeps cutting God off. Thank God God is patient, right? Moses is like, stop. If I go to the people in Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me what is his name. Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. You tell them, I am sent you. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now, boy, that's a powerful statement. I am sent you. So let me just clear something up. God is not one ounce insecure about who he is. There is not one ounce of insecurity in God. When God says, I am, it's because he is. (laughs) Right? He is. So you, when you show up, you just tell them, "I am." Said I can come. So it's clear from this passage that Moses didn't see himself the way God saw him you see that's the real identity problem is we don't see ourselves like God sees us you got to remember you've been fearfully and wonderfully made the Bible says you've been handcrafted like he he knit you together he nipped and tucked you some of us he just made bigger than the others come on left the stitches a little loose (laughs) some of y'all he gave hair follicles that would stay He handcrafted me. I'm one of a kind. No other one in the world just like me. Created by the hand of God. And I still don't see myself the way God sees me. It's an identity issue. Moses had insecurities. He had a past. He literally got away with murder. Moses was struggling with his failures. His inadequacies and his inabilities, he didn't measure up. I'm not good enough. I'm not the man for the job. Send somebody else. Send John. John, he's better than me. Like, send, send Greg. Send somebody else. You might ought to write this down. The more disconnected you are from God, the more you will struggle with your identity. The more disconnected you are from God, the more you will struggle with your identity. I've learned this over a few years now of many failures and a few successes. I've learned this much that when I'm, when I'm the most confident, when I'm the closest to God, the more space between me and God, the more insecure I become. Does that make sense? Like the closer I am the more confidence I have. The further I am the more insecure I am. Right? So so the goal now is to stay close. It's to stay in his presence. It's to stay with him. It's to listen to his voice. It's to not do something stupid to run him off. It's to requires biting your tongue. I want to stay close. Why? Because I want to stay confident, because I've learned something, that when I feel insecure, it's an indication that the relationship with God is struggling. So if you'll pay attention to what you're thinking and saying and talking to yourself about, you'll start to realize, oh, my gosh, I'm running around talking about my insecurities to myself. I might need to shut myself up and get with God. Right? And let his words both spoken and written, speak to my insecurities. So before God could do something through Moses, he had to do something in Moses. That's what he's doing right here. When he's having this conversation with Moses, he's calling Moses out of his life of complacency. He's calling him out of hiding. He's calling him out of comfort. He's calling him out of insecurity that he thinks is security. He's calling him out of an unhealthy place into a healthier place because for 40 years Moses doesn't even know who God is. Now all of a sudden God shows up and he says, "Hey, come with me. Or in fact, I'm going to go with you into Egypt and we're going to set my people free." which is this, it's an invitation to go with God to do something that he wants to do. Sure was quiet in this church. It's an invitation. He's inviting Moses to come with him. But Moses didn't get it the first time, just like we don't get it the first time, do we? Moses had some more stuff in the trunk he pulled out. <laughs> Look at chapter 4, next chapter, like they're still having this conversation. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, and he said, Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I'm never, I never have been, and I'm, not, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or don't speak, hear or don't hear, see or don't see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you. He says it again, I will be with you as you speak. And I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please, send someone else. (laughs) You want to know what the Bible didn't say just now? The Bible didn't say this. The Bible didn't say that God stood over Moses and went cleanly. And put some pixie dust on him and removed all of his insecurities. And then said, okay, bud, now you can go. God never even dealt with his insecurities, did he? Outside of just telling him, I'm going to be with you. God didn't even want to spend time talking about his insecurities. Do you realize God's not even worried about your insecurities? He's not insecure about your insecurities. Like he's, a, he's secure about his ability that overrides your insecurity. That's good stuff. I don't care what you say. Like, he's like, you're you're stopping? You're you're not going to go because of an insecurity? Like, for real? You know what God did do? He said, okay, I can see you pay a lot of attention to your insecurities. You know your failures. You know your shortcomings. Good. Thank you for paying attention to yourself. Now, take your little bag of troubles and get you a little behind over there to Egypt, because I'm going to show you something. And this is what God did with Moses. God sent Moses, and he went with him. He sent him with his little bag of insecurities and failures, and he says, Moses, you're going to blow your mind back so much that one day you're going to realize you're not even carrying your insecurities anymore. Like, if you'll just get busy doing what I want you to do, you might just one day forget about your insecurities and your failures and your past. Because the longer you spend focusing on those things, the longer you spend not getting rid of them. Right? What if your past stays in the past? What if your failures stay fallen? I get it. People won't let us move past. But what if we just trust God to move past? What if we stop letting people's insecurities and their fears keep us from moving forward? God doesn't remove his insecurities. He sends him out with his insecurities. And he says, bro, just go. I'm going to be with you the whole time. But I'm telling you right now, one day you're going to forget that you're insecure. One day you might just forget you got a stuttering problem. So there's two sides to insecurity I want to talk about this morning real quick, and then I'm going to get into four ways to live secure. Two sides to insecurity. There's the one side called rejection. It's when you're insecure and you feel like nobody loves you, nobody cares about me, I don't feel like I belong, and honestly, you, you now, you live a life of people got to constantly, like, like you're a leaky tire, like people got to constantly blow you up. You ever have a, a nail in your tire and you and, you, and you, you refuse to go to the tire shop and let them patch it? And every day what you got to do, you shh. And now you're married to the, the air compressor <laughs> and you always got to be blowed up. That's a side of insecurity where people always got to build you up and build you up and build you up. Nobody loves me. Nobody likes me. Nobody cares for me. I'm dumb as a brick. It's called the side of rejection. You feel unqualified, not good enough, out of your league. Anybody feel that way? And a lot of times when we think of insecure people, we think of them this way. They, like they're, on the, they're just on the side of rejection. Like they just, they just don't feel like they qualify. And, and you can look at them and you can go, man, you're greater than this. They go, I don't see it. But there's another side to insecurity that I want to make you aware of today. It's called the side of pride. Insecurity shows up as rejection, but insecurity also shows up as pride. Do you know every prideful person you face and meet and talk to is insecure? You know all those people that you're in love with that think they got it all together are insecure? Do you know they're the most insecure when they're alone? But because of their pride, they're constantly saying, I don't need help for this. I don't need you. I don't need you. I got this. I'm the man. I'm the woman. I can handle this on my own. You know what their insecurity is? Is I don't want to let somebody get close enough to see how I really got some issues. I'm a little jacked up. Like I don't want nobody to see. Like when nobody's looking, I'm over here in the corner. I kind of, you know, just, I got this twitch. I don't want nobody to see it. So I'm good. I'm good. Nobody come. I'm good. I got this. Everything's fine. Man, we're killing it over here. And they're diverting your attention with their pride. Those people don't let people in. Why? Because they're insecure. They don't ask for help. They're always worried about what they look like. I'm not one of those preachers. Like when I go to town... I might have a little cow mess on this leg. My boots, my pants ain't like on the outside my boots, they're a little tucked in. I even went to track supply one time with short pants and boots on. Hey, I had to go get what I had to get. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know I'm a child of God. I'm just ugly right now. I'm just, you know, I'm like busy. I'm not, I'm not trying to impress. Them. I'm not going to track the supply for a a, a, a show. There's the side of pride. But here's the problem with pride and rejection. Pride and rejection push people away. Because if you're the person that lives on the side of rejection, and everybody's got to constantly pick you up, and every time they meet you, you're on the ground dying. And they're like, oh, God, let's go pick Susie up. Come on, y'all. I know there's nobody like that in this church. (laughs) But if, if you're that person, you know what? Sooner or later, people are getting tired of messing with you. You're pushing people away that can actually help you. And if you're on the prideful side, you're pushing them away also. Because God sends people into our lives to help us. But we push them away. I got this. My life's good. Don't cross that boundary. You see it, two sides of insecurity? Let me give you four ways to live secure because we need to live secure. Number one, don't put your security in anything that can't sustain it. Don't put your security in anything that can't sustain it. If you got a chunk of money and this dude rolls up with a Cadillac and some gold plates in his mouth and he says he's an investor, don't give him your money. make sense don't put your security in anything you can't sustain anything that can't sustain it david realize this. David had an issue. He was running for his life. In fact, he writes Psalm 62 too, in a moment where he's running for his life. King Saul is trying to kill him because he's jealous of David. So he's trying to kill David. David's running for his life. He's sleeping in a cave. He's eating in the woods. He, he got a few guys that were brave enough to come with him, and he's trying to just stay alive. Watch what he says. Let all that I am Wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, where I will not be shaken. David couldn't find security in his ability to run anymore. He couldn't find security in a cave. He couldn't even find security in an army. David came to a place, and listen to me carefully, every one of us is going to come to that place where you realize everything that I think is bringing me security is shaky, and it has the ability to fall. But God is unshakable. God is unmovable. God is constant. If you want to be secure, find it in your relationship with God, because he's secure. Amen? and he can sustain it. Number two, lean into your weakness to leverage more of God's strength. Now this is so against what the world says today. What does the world say today? Hide your weakness, hide it, put it in a barrel, bury it in the backyard, don't let nobody see your weakness because if they see your weakness, you'll never move up. If they see your weakness, they'll never be impressed with you. You got to get your junk straight. And when you get it straight, you put it over here to the side. You put all your weaknesses over here. Don't let nobody see that. And then stand in front of it and act like you got it all together. Because that's the only way you move up in this life is when you got it all together. But it's funny how God's word goes the opposite of what the world says, isn't it? God's word says to expose your weakness. It says to lean into your weakness. Listen to what what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, but he answered me, my grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your weaknesses. (laughs) God's power gets fully expressed where? In my weakness. Wow. God's power gets fully expressed in my weakness. Hmm. In my weakness, not in my strength. Right? He said my weakness Like, God doesn't fully express his power in my strength. He fully expresses it in my weakness. Well, then here's a question. What's your weakness? Do you know what your weakness is? Because, you see, the world says the world has a definition of weakness. So we live our lives trying to not be weak that way. But God says, I know you're weak. Won't you realize where you're weak at? And let me show up in that. (laughs) So I will celebrate my weaknesses. For when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. When? When he's weak. Who's saying this? Paul, the great apostle. He's saying, I've got weaknesses. And when I don't hide my weaknesses, God shows up with his strength. So what if we learned how to lean into our weaknesses to leverage more of God's power? Is it okay to say, I'm just not real good at that? Is it okay to say that? Weakness. Is it okay for people to see your weakness? Is it okay for you to lean into it? Because when you lean into your weakness, that qualifies you for God's strength. You know some of the wisest people on the planet, the first thing they do is they realize where they're weak at, and then they surround themselves with people that are strong in those areas? You know, all these billionaires and millionaires, they don't do everything. They do what they know to do, and then they hire everybody else to do everything else that they're not good at. It takes a bit of humility, though, doesn't it? It takes humbling yourself and admitting that you're weak. It takes you shutting off the world's voice and saying, you know what God's word says, that in my weakness, his strength is fully expressed. So I'm not going to hide my weaknesses, I'm going to own them. What if your weakness isn't a liability but a gift? Because it qualifies you for God's strength, doesn't it? You know when God moves in your life the most? When you're the most humble. You know what happens when you're the most humble? You're the most honest. You know what happens when you're the most honest? Your heart is wide open and God just comes rushing in. But as long as we think we got it together and we don't need God, we don't need nothing else. I'm going to go to church just to punch a list, but I don't need nothing. I'm good. I got this. This world's mine. I'm I'm the kingpin. God's not moving in your life. Right? You know that shows up in marriage. It's one of, the, one of the perfect pictures of weakness is when you get married, right? Because like when you're dating, you can still hide your weaknesses, right? Like the first date, she don't see all the holes in your socks. Like the first time that he comes over to your house, it's all clean, but it ain't always going to be that way. It shows up in marriage. (laughs) I said something last week. I think it was last week or the week before. I said, you know, your marriage was really a funeral. It really is. I know that sounds harsh, but let's just think about it with an open mind. Your marriage is really a funeral. You know what happened? You just died and gave your life to somebody else, and they just died and gave their life to you. And you know what you're going to do for the rest, for the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years? You're going to keep on dying. So who's ready to get married? We'll sign you up for marital counseling. And we'll teach you how to die. Because that's what it's all about. You're going to die. Look at your name and say, you're going to die. Maybe not today, but little by little, you're going to die. My, ga- my greatest strength is knowing my greatest weakness. <clears throat> What's your greatest weakness? Number three, <clears throat> submit your self talk and thoughts to the truth of God's word. How many of you think to yourself? Come on, raise your hands. How many of you think back to yourself? Raise your other hand. How many of you talk to yourself? Raise both hands. Come on. I, my, my greatest conversations happen in the truck turn the radio off and me and myself have a conversation and sometimes we argue (laughs) and sometimes myself wins but I got a lot of self-talk and a lot of thoughts that run through my mind and they're not always godly are they oh I'm glad we can't read each other's thoughts aren't you you better be Submit your self-talk and thoughts to the truth of God's word. Romans 12:3 says this, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. My wife and I have this thing and it's been a wrestle in our marriage for a long time. My wife is is really she's really good at at like a budget and organizing and like clerical type of work. I'm, like, not really good at that. I'm good at spending money. It's a gift, (laughs) and you can buy a gift, (laughs) can't you? (laughs) I'm good at spending money. My wife is good at telling me no. Because she organized it. We had to come to a place where she had to realize that's a weakness for me, but it's a strength for her, and the only way we're going to be financially successful is when I take my weakness and put it on the table, and she comes in with her strength. Are you seeing this? And I just have to humble myself and say, okay, I'm really not good at managing money, but you are, but I am good at making decisions, so how about we meet together on these finances and, we, and then we make some wise decisions together because the two are greater than the one right but it took a whole lot of dying to get there does that make sense and so sometimes you got to be honest in your evaluation of yourself and say you know what i'm not that good here's a here's a clue if you're married if you're fighting or, or whatever you're constantly fighting about that's the thing that needs to die it's really not complicated Like if we're still fighting about where you put your shoes when you take them off, then something needs to die. Right? Who's the most influential person in your life? You are. You know why you're the most influential person in your life? It's because nobody talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. And you don't listen to anybody as much as you listen to yourself. So who's your greatest influence? Say me. Me. I'm my greatest influence. But I got to be careful with that because sometimes I influence myself the wrong way. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Losing your identity is profoundly connected to losing truth. Just like I said earlier, the further we get away from God, the more insecure we become. The further we get away from truth, the more we distract ourselves, the more we get off course. Amen? So what, if, what would happen if we started speaking truth over our own soul? What if you started influencing yourself the right way? What if you started making some good confessions instead of repeating what the enemy's whispering in your argument with yourself? What if you started to speak truth over yourself? Well, we require you first to, to understand and know what truth is, right? That's why Pastor Jamie always says you ought to be reading your Bible every day. Yeah. Why? Because this thing will brainwash you, yeah. and your brain needs washing. If you're not using it, your brain's filthy. It stank. Make sense? What if you learn the truth and then start to speak it over yourself when you're having... Your self-talk, when you're arguing with yourself, what if you, instead of waiting for other people to build you up verbally, you started to build your own self up verbally? What if you started to take God's words and apply them to your own life and build your own self up? Because if you're waiting for somebody else to do it, baby, you're going to be waiting a long time. Because here's the truth. If you're married, men don't always walk in and say, darling, you're beautiful. We usually walk in and say, what's for supper? Right? And women don't always naturally say, oh, baby, I'm so proud of you. You killed it today. You're my hero. And you're fine. (laughs) They don't always say that. Right? You walk in and they go, beat him, beat him. (laughs) And when you're done, beat him again. And you're like. You know I'm speaking the truth. Uh, <laughs> you know it. <laughs> you ever send a text message and you got autocorrected? Oh, yeah. I did that one time. I sent a text message to somebody, and I said a word. or I, I, I spelled out a word, and I didn't pay attention to it, and it autocorrected it into a bad word. And, and, and then I, I got in return a bunch of question marks, I'm like, what's wrong with you? And, and I pulled up my phone. I read. I said, oh, my God. <laughs> I just said, I said, it was autocorrect. Right, we blame it on autocorrect. Right, what what would happen? What would happen if we decided today to start staying in this thing every day, and then when we're having self-talk and thinking that this thing will start to autocorrect? Come on, when you you would start to think, "Well, I never go find a job. I never go amount to nothing. I'm always I made one mistake. I'm always gonna be a loser." Auto-correct, bro, you've been fearfully and wonderfully made. You've been washed away. Your sins have been washed away. Your past is washed away. Pick your head up, son. Keep looking forward, son. You can keep going, son. What would happen if the Bible would start auto-correcting our thoughts? But you got to get it first, right? You got to get it. It's not complicated. This is how you do it. You grab the book. You open the book. You read the book. You stop. You think about what you just read from the book. Then you pray about what you just read in the book. And then you close the book, and you go about your business. Is that complicated? It's about as easy as taking a Flintstone vitamin. Right? Right? So go take your flintstone every day. Make sense? Number four. All right, let's go. Number four. Focus more on what God is doing in you than what others are saying about you. (laughs) Focus more on what God is doing in you than what people are saying about you. This happens to me all the time. People come, Pastor, I really need to meet with you. Okay, let's sit down. We sit down. Man, I thought, what, what's going on? Well, you know, I'm being told I'm this and, and I'm this. And, and sometimes they don't even say somebody else told me this. Is, I'm this and I'm this. And I kinda, sometimes I kind of feel like God in the garden. Like, who told you you was naked? Who told you you would never get a job? Who told you your marriage was over? Who told you it couldn't be repaired? Who told you you couldn't be healed? Who told you that? Because that's not what God says. God says you will. The enemy says you won't. Who are you listening to? If you'll pay attention to what's coming out of this mouth, you'll pay attention to what you're chewing on in your head. Amen? And if you'll feed on this, you'll take your Flintstone every day. You know what's going to happen? God's word is going to start to auto-correct some of that stuff. And if people are telling you something, he's going to give you the confidence to say, stop. Collaborate and listen. I was about to do this whole rap thing, but I'm just going to stop right there because I'm white, y'all. I'm like really white. (laughs) Stop. <laughs> y'all are going, Clevery, and listen. I <laughs> can see it. So you all are like <laughs> Y'all white too. <laughs> Stop. Don't say it. Don't say another word. That's not true. You know sometimes <clears throat> and I'm not proud of this at all. But sometimes Cheryl and I have to look at each other and say, Stop. That's not true. That's not true. I may fail, I may make mistakes, but what you're saying about me is not true because this says something different. Because sometimes the people closest to us do the most damage to us, amen? But when you get in this, it gives you the ability to say stop. It gets you in a place where you don't even want to hear it anymore. Right? I spend a lot of my day going, shut up, devil. Shut up. Stop the truck, open the door, get out. (laughs) People look at you like, what's this dude's problem? It's complicated. Hebrews 11, verse 27. Let me wrap this up. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. How did Moses start back in chapter 3 and chapter 4? I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm not qualified. I got too many failures. What happens at the end of the story Moses, without even worrying about the fear of the the king, Moses walks his people, God's people, out of Egypt. What happened to his insecurities? They got buried in Egypt, John. They got dealt with in Egypt. He walked God's people out. If you'll read the whole story of Moses and you listen to his language, in the beginning he's like, I can't do this and I can't do that. But in the end he's like, God, if you don't take them knuckleheads out, I'm going to take them out. Like him and God are partners now, right? You know what happened? He dropped his insecurities. He started to understand first who God is, then who God says he is, and then him and God got so tight that he got some boldness and some courage, and now he's marching a whole nation into a promised land. That's what happens when you decide to not live behind your insecurities and you start a journey of discovering who you are and who God is. So I know you walked in here today and you've been saying no to God for a long time. And just like Moses, you've been protesting. I can't. You've given God every excuse under the sun. In fact, you created some excuses. And you're good at creating excuses. But let me tell you something today. God's not backing down. He created you with a purpose for our purpose, and on purpose, and he's not giving up on that. So when are you going to give in to that? Amen? Good? So we keep asking, who am I, to a God who's completely secure with who he is. Instead of asking, who am I, what if we started declaring I am. I am. I am. What if you woke up every morning with some "I am"s in your mouth? I am this. I am that. I I have a purpose today. God has a calling on my life. I've been created to do something that nobody else on the planet can do it, and if I don't go do it, it won't get done. That's who I am. What if you put your feet on the ground and reminded the devil who you was? Instead of him waking you up, going "Good morning, cool <laughs> y'all." Let's pray. I not you just take a moment right now, just in God's presence, and I want you to just, I want you to just, I don't want you to open your mind. I want you to open your heart to God in this moment because we're living in an identity crisis. And today's the day you need to start discovering who you are. And God's gonna call you and he's gonna commission you to go take some things back that belong to you. Some things that were stolen from you, taken because you didn't know who you were. So God, today I come to you Thankful for this word, thankful for the story of Moses. And God, how you show us over Moses' life, how we may start out insecure, but we can end fully confident. And we can walk into heaven knowing who we are, not insecure about anything. And that God, it's in the process of walking out what you give us that the insecurities start to die. <clears throat> God, help us today. help us today. So I want every one of you to pray this with me this morning. If you want if you want to know who you are and you want to walk in confidence and you want to live secure not depending on anybody else to define you, if that's what you want, then I want you to pray this out loud with me this morning. Say, "Lord Jesus, I come to you today and I submit. In fact, I quit." I quit trying to define my own life. And I'm trusting you to define it. I need to ask you to forgive me. Because I've worried more about other people and what they think than what you say and what you've already said. So please forgive me. So God, today. I give you my life. I give you my insecurities. By faith, I'm going to go. By faith. Come on, say it with me. You're dying on me. By faith, I'm going to do all that you tell me to do. Trusting that you're going to work in me the whole time. So help me, Lord. Nobody's head bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around this morning. Maybe you're here and this is your first time in a church home. Maybe you've been coming for a long time and you've never made a decision to give your life to Jesus. And like those 40 kids this week, you you want to make sure that you're not insecure about your eternity. The Bible calls that being born again. It simply means this, that you make a confession you first admit that you're a sinner and you've fallen short of God's glory and then the Bible says that you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and he says you'll be saved or born again and then you make a confession the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord you will be saved so if you're ready to make that decision today with nobody looking around every head bowed and eyes closed private moment you make that decision today we'll give you a public moment later on at another date if that's you you want to be born again and you want to give your life to Jesus today just simply slip slip your hand up real quick real quick I see you I see you anybody else I've got two Okay, you can put them down anybody else so come on let's pray this together y'all let's pray with the people that made the decision today Dear Lord Jesus I believe that you're the son of God I believe that on the cross you took my sin my shame and my guilt and you died for it I believe that you faced hell for me so I would not have to go and you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth And a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. And I want to make a confession. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.